we turn to the Word. We turn to the sacraments. So we hear God's Word today for us um, from Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. But as we, as we get there, just a reminder of where we're at, or if you're a guest with us, um, what we're maybe in the middle of here. Um, our Reach Out Capital campaign was what we launched over two years ago um, to begin the building project that is now there. And so, as a focus, we want to fulfill the words that Jesus told us of let your light shine before others, reach out to your neighbor. And so now, in this season of discernment, as we um, have completed a phase of the capital campaign, as we now pay for the space, um, in these five weeks leading up to the second Sunday of February, next week, um, we've been focusing on making sure we do the right things for the right reasons and at the right time. And of course, any great undertaking, any project is done with the right commitments, with the right gifts made. And so today, after we've talked about project and the reasons and the timing, we come to commitment in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Joshua is in the Old Testament, and so if you just start from the beginning, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Um, if you find yourself in Judges, you've gone just a little bit too far. In Joshua chapter 1, though, the people are at a turning point. Uh, things are changed. They've always had Moses with them. And now God will declare the current reality of the Israelites by stating what maybe seems as the obvious, that, that Moses has died. And now Joshua is charged to continue to lead God's people and he gives them words of assurance, not just a task, not just a burdensome commitment, but words of assurance as well. As we come to Joshua, Joshua 1, 1 through 9, just to maybe reflect on what has brought us to this point as uh, the congregation gathered at North Holland, we think about the right project. It should be something that leads us into the same things that the church has been doing since the beginning of the church which from Acts we read is dedication to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and communion, and in our homes and with one another, and prayer. These are the habits in Mark's church, and these also should be our habits as God's people, that we devote ourselves to Christ's teaching, that we spend time in fellowship with one another to encourage, to challenge, to walk alongside of each other, that we celebrate the sacraments together, that we share hospitality in our homes, that we pray together with and for one another. And that any large project, any project of any kind in the church, should be one that leads to unity in Christ. Not just unified camps within the church that could be divided against themselves, but unity in Christ together as we all take steps towards the cross where we find the true measure of unity bringing individuals and communities to Jesus. And just last week, we took a look at First Chronicles at the tribe of Issachar, the ones who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. To be attuned to God's leading and guiding, to be wise in what we observe, in, in, in what we seek after. And today we find ourselves in Joshua 1, 1 through 9, thinking about commitments and the future. And so as we come to God's word today from Joshua chapter 1. Let's pray for the blessing of God's Holy Spirit. Lord, may your word be our rule, your Holy Spirit, our teacher, and our encourager. 
and the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, and his kingdom priorities. May that be our primary and highest concern. This we offer, Lord, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Joshua 1, 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Tonight, as the Super Bowl unfolds, there will be pep talks given. There will be motivational speeches from different coaches, from different people on the team, encouraging their team to go forward, to play well, to commit to the game. In our living rooms and different places that the Super Bowl is watched, there will also be pep talks in moments of nail-biting reality of saying, it's going to be okay, we're going to make it, our team is going to make it. There will be positive pep talks. There will also probably be negative ones, which I think will surface around the hatred of Tom Brady that seems to be very apparent in the world of sports. I think because everyone loves a hero but hates a champion. There will be pep talks. There will be words of encouragement. There will be words encouraging everyone to commit, to do what they need to do. And also, the reality is there's no guarantee of winning. Only one team will win. And yet each one will have encouragement, will have speeches given, words that will be spoken that will hopefully spur the team on to action. Which of course makes perhaps our pep talks in our living room for our team, or maybe if it's not either of your team this year. I know some people have already posted that uh, they're cheering more for one team in spite or against over another one. As we do all of that, our words will not necessarily be heard. And yet, the same types of things that we say are the ones that we've maybe heard at different times in our life. 
And all of these words of encouragement are meant to spur us on to action. In Joshua, Joshua receives the most historic pep talk of all time from God. Three times the Lord says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Tells him to not be afraid, to not be discouraged. He gives him a vision that goes beyond just himself and keeps repeating again and again, be strong and courageous. But all of these words for Joshua are not words just for Joshua on his own. These are words that are meant to spur him on to action. And Joshua may now be the leader of God's people now that Moses has passed away. Moses, who people are familiar with, they knew Moses. They knew what it was like when Moses was leading. Now Joshua will be different. But Joshua, even so, has the same call from from this encouragement that he receives to the Lord is one that brings people to action. Most notably, to cross the Jordan River. To have to set foot in the river before the waters begin to part, to fully commit to the endeavor before them. And all of this is to trust that what God told Joshua, in addition to all the encouragement, in addition to telling him how to be, to be strong and courageous, to not be afraid or discouraged, is also an exercise in trust for Joshua and all of the people who are looking to Joshua to lead, to know that what the Lord has told them will be true, to know that their territory will be what God has said that it will be. To know that even as they face adversaries, as they have opposition and enemies in the land, to believe the things that God says to them, that no one will be able to stand against them all the days of their life, that they will be successful, that no one can stand against them. All of the opposition will fall away. Friends, as we think about commitments and encouragement that we make and that hopefully part of the the practice of our fellowship together, even, even coffee and praying with one another after service, should encourage us, it also has to lead towards some sort of action. And so what is the encouragement all for? If the Lord repeatedly says, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, what does that inspire you to do? What action comes out of knowing that God will be with you? All of our action is is predicated on the fact that God's faithfulness to us is the foundation of what our actions are directed to be. Maybe said a little bit differently, often the question when we talk about casting vision, whether in the church or in other organizations, the vision-casting question often is, What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? What would you do with your life if you knew you could not fail? Now, that's the vision-casting question. That that goes uh, a little bit beyond, because just like in the Super Bowl, someone is going to lose, and you can decide if that's a failure or not. What would you do if you couldn't fail? Helps us cast vision. It helps us dream big. It helps us see beyond the territory that we're in and see beyond into the territory that God already knows is in store. But maybe if, if that's the vision casting question, when we talk about actual action, 
the simpler question, the one that we take into everyday life, not where we're dreaming big and above and beyond anything before, but in the everyday, day in, day out, the daily grind, what can become mundane, the routine, what would you do if you knew that God was with you? To fully trust and lean on God's faithfulness. What would you do, how would you show up if you knew that God was going to be with you? Because that's the question that's before Joshua. God's assurance to him is, I will be with you. And then Joshua's response is to be able to trust and believe that what God has said is true. That God is more faithful to us than we can ever possibly dream to be faithful to God. And when God says he will be with us, that he truly will be with us. There's a missionary story of a tribe that was reached by a missionary who um, found out very quickly because of a history of cannibalism, the tribe had zero trust for one another. You don't trust your neighbor when they might eat you if the opportunity was presented. And so as they were doing linguistic translation, especially to to share the gospel and maybe eventually to, to translate the scriptures into some form of communication for these people, at least to make the apostles' teaching consistent to them, one of the words that they struggled with was to find a word for trust because there was not a word for trust in this tribe's language. Trust was not a thing. How can you tell people to trust God when they don't even have a word for trust? And so the story goes that, that, that the, the missionaries at long last said, okay, they, they, they took a pole, just a long piece of wood, probably used for a spear, and they leaned on it and asked the question, what am I doing between my body and this stick? What is happening here? And there is a word and there is a concept for they were putting all of their weight on it. And that was what they tried to use to understand trust. Not just to say that we trust, because we have a word for trust, but to actually put into practice putting our weight onto something, to believe that it will hold us. Passively, we partake in that exercise of trust all the time. You're sitting in pews and chairs right now because without giving it a second thought, you trust and believe that they will hold you. And they're doing just that. But more so, to think in more ethereal terms, when Joshua has all kinds of reasons to be afraid, all kinds of reasons for doubt, Joshua personally is in the middle of grief. He's been Moses' aid for a long time. And now Moses is dead. And God does not say everything will stay the same But God does say that he will be with Joshua. And over and over again gives him the encouragement that he will be with him and he will be there for Joshua to lean on. But that that trust leads to commitment and that commitment leads to action. This is repeated throughout Scripture. In Isaiah chapter 41, verses 8 through 13, some of the same words are used. In that section of verses, when we talk about Joshua being described, the territory that will be given to the Israelites, the promised land at long last, Isaiah, the prophet, reminds the people that the Lord took them from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners. He called them 
I have chosen you and have not rejected you, so do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And just as Joshua was told by the Lord that his adversaries would not be able to stand against him, Isaiah, the prophet, shares with the people, all who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced, for those who oppose you will be as nothing, and they will perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. God's assurance. Before we are called into action, we receive a foundation of God's assurance that God can be trusted by us. And so we think about making the right decisions for the right reasons at the right time, but all of this is foundationally placed upon trusting that God will be faithful to us, that God is more faithful to us than we could imagine to be faithful, but God's perfect faithfulness is the measure and picture of what our faithfulness is called to be. Jesus gave words of assurance before he ascended. Before he sent the disciples out, he told them to wait. But even in telling them to wait, he gave them assurance. In saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, commit to this, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you. I am with you always. And before Jesus ascended into heaven, in Acts chapter 1, he said similar things once again, telling them, just as Joshua heard about the territory that was going to be the promised land, Jesus sent the disciples out and told them that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. We are the very ends of the earth in comparison to what they believed the world to be back then. And then, after Jesus ascended, two men dressed in white, messengers of the Lord, angels said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here just looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Jesus will be with you He will not leave you or forsake you. And he sends us out, not just in fear and trepidation, but in assurance that we'll be able to face our fears because God will be with us. Over and over again, this is heard throughout Scripture. The refrain of do not be afraid, the repetition of God's assurance that he is with us. Friends, we are just another step in God's covenant relationship with God's people. From the days of Joshua, of sending the people into the promised land, to the days of Jesus sending out not just to the promised land, but to the whole world to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. This takes action. This can be scary. There can be tasks that we don't feel equipped for along the way. And yet, God's assurance is that he will be with us. God gives us his word, not just the scriptures, 
But in the scriptures, God gives his word as a commitment to us. And this is what we base our commitments upon as well. Now, we're in the midst of a capital campaign. Certainly next week we come together and, and, and we'll make new commitments. And so we can think about that financially, and hopefully that is a prayerful consideration of, of what, what should we commit to this, to make commitments. And once again, the rationale is, is not so that we can police everybody or know who's giving what, but so that we can know as a church, where is our commitment at? Are we doing well? Are we on track? Are we on pace? And one of the best assurances that we have is the high participation, the way we committed together as a church when we first set out on this great adventure of the building project and, and, and kicking off the crossing and doing all of the things that we do to use our space, to be faithful to God. So this is certainly present as we think about financial commitments numerically. I'm always pleased to, to share that when we met with our capital campaign consultants, they told us a church our size could expect 60 people to participate in the campaign, 60 individuals or families. That was the highest they told us, right, 60. And this is based on hundreds of churches throughout the nation. They said probably 60 people will commit to your campaign, and some of them will never start their commitments, even if they make them. Do you have a guess how many commitments we had? 149 individuals or families. After we were told repeatedly, <laughs> on the phone, in person, and by email, that 60 was our number. 149. Because we committed together. Because it's not one individual Lone Ranger that makes a commitment communally. It's all of us committing together. Equal sacrifice. Putting our, putting our commitments forward and giving them to God. But all of this begins maybe at a smaller level. Because we do live in a commitment-aversive society. It is hard to get long-term commitments to be established and kept. Sometimes we don't like to be tied down. We don't want to lose freedom or flexibility. Perhaps sometimes we just don't like accountability. We don't want to, our commitments to be known that anyone would hold us accountable for it. That's different from just the capital campaign. That's just in the air that we breathe in our culture today. And so aside from, from finances and building projects and church projects that are of a community nature, I encourage us to think about commitment. How do we practice this on an individual basis, not only in, in great historic times, but in the everyday, in the here and now, in the rhythm throughout the week? There's a definition of integrity that we use in Churches Learning Change, one of the, the processes that we're involved with our denomination. And the defini definition is doing what you said you would do when you said you would do it in the manner it was meant to be done. Doing what you said you would do when you said you would do it in the manner it was meant to be done. This is a pretty complete definition. And this is appealing. We like when people act with integrity. But to practice this, to truly practice this, means that we have to give our word to things. That we have to let people know that we have committed to something. It is February, so 85% of our New Year's resolutions have already faded away. And sometimes it's a matter because we didn't give our word to anyone else. 
or we did so in passing. But to truly commit is to give our word. To practice making commitments, even small ones. Even to say such things as, I'll give you a call this week. To say, I give you my word that I'll do that. And then to remember to. Or those things that come up that seem like a good idea in passing. The, the shoulds that we all have. You know, I really should X, Y, or Z. You fill in the blank. We don't always do those shoulds because we don't commit, we don't give our word to anyone else or involve the fact that we want to live fully and fully forward. So there is a practice of giving your word that someone else will know what you mean to do and when you mean to do it and the manner in which you mean to accomplish it. To try to keep your word and when you can't, to honor your word and to share that. This is true in our relationships this is true in how we work with, with one another or with coworkers. This is true in families or among friends. That we give our word and we keep our commitments. I challenge and encourage you, as, aside from thinking about next week and making commitments to the church financially, that on a personal note, what does it look like this year to practice giving your word even to some small things? To know that this is done with God's assurance for us, if we're doing the right things for the right reasons and at the right time, to give our word, to commit to something well. And of course, the emotion that we can imagine Joshua was experiencing was fear. And sometimes what keeps us from giving our word, from committing to something, is fear. Fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear that maybe if we share this idea we have, it'll be met with resistance or people won't think it's as good of an idea as we thought it was. And we don't like feeling dumb. But to make our commitments sometimes it makes us frightened because we think life will get busy and complicated if I do. But friends, life is busy and complicated anyway. And so if we choose to give our word to things, if we choose to commit we are more in control of what otherwise is just the chaos of a busy life. And our commitments made, whether it be to reconnect with a friend, whether it be to spend intentional time with our spouse, whether it be to, to try on something new, to take a risk, it might make our lives more crazy, it might make our lives more full but it does not diminish God's commitment to being with us. Commitments made wisely will not diminish God's commitment to being with us or in any way lessen God's promise that he will be with us, that he will not leave us or forsake us. So let's give our words. Give our word to commitments in the right areas because if we don't commit our lives to the right causes, Life will cause us to be committed anyway. How is it that Christ calls you to let your light shine before others? Even people that you know full well, even other people of faith, people within this church, how do we let our light shine before others to do so well? How do we give our word to make a commitment, to keep a commitment? Whether it be being the fourth grade Kids Hope mentor that we need, or being someone who comes alongside of someone else, that we can do this to bring ourselves closer to Christ. Practice it. Give your word. And remember what the Lord told to Joshua. 
Do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid. For I, the Lord your God, will be with you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. God, you call us to give our word, to make commitments to you. And as we trust in you, you call us to action, just as you called Joshua to action, to lead the people in response to cross the Jordan River. God, whatever it is that you need us as individuals to commit to, whatever our Jordan River that is big and scary to cross, or maybe even small and simple, but just needs commitment, Bless us with strength and wisdom to see with your eyes and to feel your presence, to know that we can trust leaning upon you, that we can make commitments based upon your faithfulness to us, whether in relationship, in work, in friendships, or within the church. Lord, strengthen us to keep our commitments well and to both see your past faithfulness as reason to believe that you can be trusted and also to see that the future that you have always exceeds the future that we can see. In all of this, Lord, we give you thanks that you strengthen and encourage us along the way. Amen.